0: hey everyone it's jeff from mcs magazine and i have to say that after yet another deep dark discussion with today's guest i'm a whole lot closer to becoming a wheel gun convert now wait i'm still uber happy carrying my glock but i think it's time for a little field test work with a snubby let's see if we can make a convert out of you as well check this out
1: bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, do you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival.
0: Six-shooter, huh? A lot of old-timers carry those. Those were the words spoken by Mel Gibson to Danny Glover in 1987's Lethal Weapon. That's right, even in the 1980s, the revolver was considered old-fashioned, something that didn't offer the firepower of the then-popular Wonder Nine semi auto pistols. The gun industry or elements within it and media surrounding firearms have been catering to that attitude ever since, sticking the revolver out there in a second class status among shooters. Now, don't make the mistake and think that movies and television don't affect attitudes about which guns people buy and what people carry. Lethal Weapon probably did more to spur sales of the Beretta 92 automatics than any other film, and it was 1971's Dirty Harry that turned a relatively unknown revolver in forty four Magnum, the Model 29, into a best-selling hand cannon among shooters in the know. In other words, what you think you know about revolvers could be as much a product of pop culture than any real assessment of their value in a tactical situation. So, setting the popular culture attitudes about revolvers aside and trying to forget what you think you know about wheel guns, what are the realities of the revolver versus the common myths that so many of us have come to know? Well, that's what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And to give us some no-BS answers on wheel guns today is our guest and firearms expert, Michael DeBethancourt. Michael, welcome back to the program.
2: Well, good evening, Jeff. Or good afternoon, it's KSMB. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, I can't wait to, uh, to get into this uh, See if we can give you some information that will be valuable to you and your listeners.
0: I know it will be. Now, listen, everybody. We've we've uh, I've had this conversation with Michael actually several times probably over the years, and he always tries to convince me about the power of the revolver, and I'm almost a convert. In fact, if you go back to uh, I think it's episode number 23 in our podcast, he has a lot more tips there on how to use the revolver as a self defense weapon. But today we're going to go through some of the myths that are out there and really just you know some of the arguments people have against them. But if you've not heard Michael before, or even if you have, he's the chief trainer for snubtraining.com, specializing in courses on snub revolver, weapon disarming and retention, and folding knife skills for both law enforcement officers and legally armed civilians. He's also over 30 years student of the martial arts and over 20 years student of police defensive tactics, as well as a nationally recognized defensive revolver, weapon disarming and improvised weapons trainer, and an internationally recognized tactical folding knife instructor trainer. Now, to learn more about Michael and his training, you can visit him online at www.snubtraining.com. Now, Michael, I thought, I thought this would be a really great opportunity because I, you know, people typically have these, these myths in their mind, although, although they don't think of them as myths. I mean, it's pretty much like it's common knowledge almost. And so what I thought we'd do is just kind of go through some of the common ones that are out there and just get your take on it from somebody who is an advocate for the revolver and people giving it a second chance. So, so what I, here's here's myth number one, that revolvers are just for old cops and women. And, and well, in, in preparation for this, just for giggles, I grabbed one of the gun magazines off my desk and I flipped through it. And I was specifically looking for some action shots of people with revolvers. And in one magazine, there there literally wasn't a single article with a revolver pictured in it. And in another one, I saw a woman an older gentleman and literally a woman who looked like about 90 in her bathrobe. And it's not always portrayed that way in the magazines, but there does seem to be this old school stigma of revolvers being the firearm of choice for old cops and women. So what would you say are the, are the best arguments for why people should give the revolver a second chance in their self-protection arsenal? All
2: right, well, let's let's go into two items. You suggested that uh, only old cops and women. Let's start with the old cops. The, uh, Excluding Glock, every major manufacturer of firearms produces his own version of snub revolvers. If only old cops and women were purchasing them, then there must be a limitless number of old cops and women available in the uh, uh, in the sales business. Second of all, let's not dismiss women collectively. I mean, how many sophisticated women do you know who are shooters? And if I'm not mistaken, women are driving firearm sales in this country. Yeah. So I'm going to put aside the old cops and women item and to get that uh, there are lots of folks who who probably should if they don't already have a wheel gun in their collection can use one. Now, think about how many times you can bring new shooters down there. It's a simpler tool to, to train on. It's a safer tool to train on. Uh, it's a lot easier to, to, to make live. a lot easier to uh, confirm that it's unloaded. Um, it's a great tool if you're practicing with a, uh, an injury. Um, something I always advocate when we're uh, pushing any kind of firearm is that if you are competent to shoot your firearm with your dominant hand and you are partially competent to shoot it with the non-dominant hand, then you're only partially competent to shoot the firearm because you're only as good as your core is shooting. And it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to manage to learn to shoot non-dominant with the revolver because more uh, it is harder gun to shoot. It has all the mechanical limitations. And if you really want to be good at anything, you don't take the easy way out. You try to find something that is going to challenge you. Um before I get too far afield, because I, I think you know, we have uh, we approached that with a different item as well. Um, lots of folks other than old women in touch probably have guns. In fact, I don't even know a dedicated or a serious pistol shooter who doesn't have in his or her uh, gun safe a snub revolver. In fact, uh, I've yet to have someone call me for a class who is a shooter who has to ask for a loaner gun. Lots of new shooters who've never shot and come to class and borrow a loaner gun but never had anybody spend into the field for any length of time who doesn't and is looking for an opportunity to come to a formal program and learn how to wring out every advantage and learn the limitations in, in a controlled form. Well, let's, uh, so one,
0: one class of these people, obviously, that are, I mean, that, that even purchase firearms are those that are looking for concealed carry. You know, I think it's, uh, some people can maybe even get past, um, okay, I can see a revolver being in my arsenal. It's really meant for the, you know, my, my, the, the, uh, the, the bedside table upper drawer or whatever it is. But let's talk about the myth of concealability and access because unlike autos that have this nice flat frame to lay up against your body for concealability, Revolvers have a round cylinder that, that may create more of a visible bulge or have to be located somewhere where access to it might be harder to get to. So how much truth is there in this common belief and, and is there a way to level the playing field when compared with an auto when it comes to wearing a wheel gun for concealability and easy access for, you know, getting it into play in, in a, in a scenario?
2: Well, I suggest that both of those are inaccurate. Uh, first of all, while the semi-auto is flatter, it is also more angular. And I'm willing to bet you don't know another shooter, and yourself included, who hasn't seen someone with a semi-automatic on a dominant hip with a shirt that's probably one size too small for what he needs to. And the printing element is glaring. Um, The advantage to the revolver, not an ultimate advantage, but an advantage, is that it is rounded, not just in the cylinder, but the overall profile. And it's a lot easier to hide something that is rounded and curved than it is to something, hide something that is either uh, angular and square. Uh, I find it's a lot easier to find guys who are in concealed carry classes uh, who are not, in fact, concealing anything when they're carrying the pistols. And I have yet to find uh, use the right uh, holster and the right equipment you can't hide it in as many places as you can successfully hide semi-auto, only there are more places to hide it because it tends to work more with the natural shapes and contours of the human body.
0: Okay. And what about accessibility as far as like getting to your weapon for, for, for fast draw? I mean, is it, um is it, is it, are there any differences with the auto?
2: Well, I, I make a point on occasion. I don't, uh, not I would always agree, but it's something you can test for yourself. When you have a flat surface up against the body and you like the semi-automatic pistol and you're trying to reach for it, you have to put a little bit more effort to get yourself uh your your thumbs uh, between your body and the weapon because there's no space. Now I'm not suggesting this is something that uh you you can you have to give a lot of effort attention to, or you can you can't just out entirely. But because the cylinder is pushing the weapon slightly farther away from the body, it creates a natural opening for reaching down and accessing the weapon. Um, now, there are any number of semi-automatic shooters who are going to be faster at drawing their concealed weapons than I am uh, drawing my wheel guns. But I will bet that uh, if given equivalent uh, equipment, you can draw the wheel gun faster than you can draw your semi-auto. And I know I can certainly throw my wheel gun faster than I can throw on Mississippi auto. This is not to include exposed holsters that an officer might wear. We're talking about the concealed carry equipment that most of us carry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. We've been talking with Michael DeBethancourt of snubtraining.com about the misconceptions people have about the power and effectiveness of a revolver as a self defense weapon. We have a few more myths to get to, including the more is better debate and why the wimpy little round capacity revolvers suffer from might not be as big a challenge as you may think, or maybe it is. We'll find out. The truth about revolver wheel gun stopping power versus the common semi-automatic performance test and whether the chunky grips and frames of the snubbies and revolvers will truly detract from shooting straight and accurate. But first, check out this special message.
1: Are you a proud defender of the Second Amendment? Are you tired of your whiny sister-in-law's liberal tantrums about the need for more gun control? Are you infuriated with government gun grabbers trying to strip you of your god-given right to own a nuclear bazooka? Well, my fellow Patriot, it's time for a Smackdown. Smackdown. In our free 2 ab Smackdown debate guide, you'll discover how to win any gun control argument armed with three questions. That's right. Just ask these three simple questions and watch as that smug little smile disappears from their little face of even the most ignorant know-it-all liberal. Plus, you'll discover easy, fact-based, can't-lose, crybaby comebacks for the most common myths, misinformation, and outright lies. Like, gun shows are the criminal's flea market. Countries with tighter gun control have lower crime rates. Banning guns protects our children. More control keeps guns out of the hands of crazy people. And a whole lot more. Arm yourself now with the ultimate argument winner by claiming your free copy of 2AD Smackdown. Visit www.2adsmackdown.com. That's the number two, ADSmackdown.com. And now, back to our show.
0: Okay, we're back with Michael DeBethancourt of SnubTraining.com. Discuss the poor, mistaken reputation of the wheel gun as an effective self-defense weapon. Now Michael's on a tear going through all these myths, so let's not stop him. Let's jump right back into the interview now. Now, Michael, there's this myth of obviously the reduced capacity. I mean, this probably is one of the biggest debates out there is, you know, more, it's the more is better thing. We've all heard stories of, of multiple rounds not being able to stop an attacker. And, and that feeds that more is better scenario when it comes to how many rounds you have available to stop a threat. Now, since the typical revolver only carries six rounds, w- wouldn't this make it a less reliable cho- choice than, say, an auto that can hold 10 or more rounds?
2: I don't think the issue is reliable, but I understand what your question is. And to quote the, the great and sadly late uh, Paul Gomez, the more rounds you have, the longer you're in the fight. But whenever the question comes up about capacity, I like to change the uh, the way you frame that question. There, there are any number of stories of individuals taking large volumes of rounds and still continuing. And the point I try to make whenever I'm teaching is that it is not so much... The number of rounds that you can deliver. It is the motivation of the individual that you're dealing with. And the shortest answer I can give you is that if I tell you I'm going to steal your car, the enthusiasm you're going to bring to stop me if I'm armed is going to be at a certain level. If I tell you that I'm going to take one of your children, then the enthusiasm you're going to bring to prevent that is going to go through the roof. And you're not going to be nearly as impressed with what I bring to prevent you. Because if you have sufficient motivation, it won't matter if I'm threatening you with five or 50 rounds. You're going to see that it doesn't come to pass. You have almost no control over the motivation someone coming at you with. So sometimes what you're shooting them with isn't going to matter as much as what you can do to convince them that this isn't worth it for them. Does that make any sense?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm going there with you. I keep going.
2: All right. There are any – now, let's do this, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll bring it full circle. Okay. We're probably all aware of stories of servicemen overseas who have reported that when they would point firearms at individuals are trying to get to, to comply, they get no response. Because people had guns pointed at them before. But with the introduction of lasers on the weapons, suddenly you get a different reaction because people are convinced that you are actually singling them out, and now they have skin in the game, if you would. Well, there are any number of occasions where you can point a pistol at someone, and there's something visceral about not seeing the ammunition. There are also antidotal evidence and stories of the officers who point real guns at the bad guys, and suddenly it becomes more visceral. And when that wheel starts to turn and you can see the ammunition lining up, then you get a different reaction. Now, I'm not suggesting any of this is going to mitigate the fact that there are fewer rounds. But it is both a cliche and true that it isn't so many rounds that you fire, how many that you can lay on target. And I think we all know that the longer that you're firing, the less accurately you're firing and the fewer rounds you can often put on the target.
0: Yeah. I mean, bottom line, I think, and we, and we talk about this a lot, you know, that it's not as much about the gun and you, and you can fit whatever, it doesn't matter what kind of gun you're talking about, but it's, it's really about your tactics and the other things that go before you even pull the trigger that make the most, that that make the biggest difference, especially since when we look at the, the percentage of, of fights, like the distance that they actually happen, you know, are mostly going to be in that close quarters range, and we've seen this time and time again with real stories that criminals aren't stupid. They're going to be right up on top of you, and you know, so it's going to it, it's it's really more about how you fight with a gun rather than the gun that you're fighting
2: with. This is so true, and look, I I, I don't want anyone to 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 leave with the impression that I'm advocating that the real gun is superior to the pistol. That fight has long since come and gone. What I'm suggesting is there is an enormous number of advantages on certain circumstances with the real gun. And all I'm trying to do is gather up as many of those before we lose them from all the men and women the decades before who gathered them up and put them in a unified location. Uh, Certain circumstances, special circumstances, special occasions, it's an appropriate tool.
0: Well, let's talk about the myth of, of stopping power and having lower stopping power. One of the factors that determine the stopping power of a firearm is barrel length. And unless you're Dirty Harry and you're carrying that, that giant 44 Magnum revolver in a shoulder horse holster, you're typically going to have a shorter barrel revolver for everyday carry. Now, I know you're a big fan of snubbies, but some people may argue that the shorter barrel could detract from the ammo's ability to stop the attacker. What's your, what's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, there's certainly a relationship between the kind of velocity you get and the barrel length, but, uh, and someone like Chick Gaylord had advocated all the way back into the 60s that uh, you can get a three-inch barrel and get almost uh, 50% to double your velocity without any notable uh, w- loss of concealability. So there's lots of ways around that. But there's also advantages you can get with a shorter barrel gun that you don't generally get with a longer barrel gun. Um, it is much easier to retain the weapon if you're wrestling over it. It is much harder for the other fellow to take it out of your hand if you're wrestling over it. We, we tend to live in smaller areas. It's much easier to move the gun from inside a confined area like a car. It is much easier to work if you're in a confined area like a office cubicle or a uh, elevator. Um, it isn't just the barrel lengths. Uh, effect on the bullet it's the barrel length effect on your ability to fight with the gun that i tend to believe tips it in the favor of the shorter barrels than the longer ones
0: that's like the best argument that i've heard i think and i've talked with you about this quite a bit but that's like the best argument i've heard because i can visualize all of that when we talk about like the the you know i just got done saying that it's really about how you fight with the gun but your environment's a big part of that and there are some advantages like you just said to um to the shorter barrel length. Let's talk about the, uh, the myth of reduced accuracy. And anyone who's ever shot both a semi-auto and a revolver know that there's, there's just a different feel when it comes to the two. Like if you, if, if, if somebody is not used to shooting a revolver, when they first take it up and they go to shoot it down range, then it, it's just, it's going to feel different, especially if you're, if you're very well practiced with that semi-auto. And I'm, and I'm sure those who are used to getting accurate shot groups at the range with their auto, don't necessarily have that same level of confidence if they were to shoot a revolver. So is that just a matter of practice makes perfect, or is there a significant difference in accuracy between revol- revolvers and autos?
2: Well, my experience has been that both, especially in state-of-the-art equipment, are exceptionally accurate. The hiccup tends to be that we believe that one of the other is less accurate, and then we produce the result we're looking for. A common practice when we do my classes. and Is that I will bring folks down and we'll set up targets, generally something like a two foot square target and set it off at twenty-five yards and fifty yards. And initially people look at you like, this is impossible. I have a I have a two-inch gun. Well, I try to convince the folks that if they'll do their part, the gun will do its part. The gun doesn't know whether your target is two foot square at fifty yards or two inches square at fifty inches, because it's going to launch the projectile. If you keep your Sights aligned, and you can press the trigger without uh, taking the sights offline, you will get round after round after round. And one of the most rewarding aspects of teaching folks how far these guns can actually get is that those who can get 80 or 90 or 100% of their rounds at 50 yards, we will condition on the range and the range rules, bring them out to 75 and 100 yards. And I've never had in all the years I shot folks who could not shoot. at 50 yards, who couldn't do 70 to 80% at 100 yards. Now, that's not just a trick. There's also a reason you want to be able to do that. There's a reasonably famous case involving uh, a gentleman in Florida who was uh, attacked by another fellow. um, And in the course of defending himself, the bad guy turned on the good guy with a two-inch revolver. And the defender protected himself. Well, he was subsequently charged, and one of the arguments the court made was that as an experienced shooter, he should have known that the gentleman with the short revolver could not possibly have reached out at 40 feet to hit him with the revolver. Now, if you have had an occasion to go to the range and shoot under proper supervision at 50, 75, and 100 yards, and you put round after round anywhere from 100 down to, let's say, 60%, then you can certainly give that the lie if it ever comes up in court. It's also nice to know exactly what the outer limits of a gun's capability are and yours, so that if you are shooting at a match or a local event and the targets are 15, 20, or 25 yards away, you can tell yourself, listen, I put 60% at 75 yards. I can certainly do much better than that. At 25 or 30 yards, and you're going to feel more confident with the tool that you have, and you're going to feel more confident with your performance.
0: Yeah, yeah, we talk about that a lot—the reasonable man theory and what you know before an actual event, and how that's the most critical thing. And so that's a really good—that's a really good example of how both the, a myth can be thrown out there, and and potentially at your detriment in a courtroom. How you can also overcome that with your own actual experience. So I love it. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, um, taking some time. I know you're out there on patrol and everything and everything's, uh, so I appreciate you taking your dinner break and, and giving us a little bit of time here to talk about these things. And, um, I, I promise you someday I am going to get one. I just have to save up for it and get my wife's permission at the same time. So, uh, one day the stars are going to align, <laughs> but, uh, but thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time.
2: Um, all right, Kevin, I appreciate the time. Yeah.
0: Uh, listen everybody, you definitely want to go over and check out, I mean, I, whether you're a wheel gun aficionado or, you know, convert or not, uh, Michael's, it's not just the, uh, the, the tactics that, or that's not just the, the advice that Michael has about, um, his advocacy for wheel guns, but also the tactics that he puts into it. Uh, he's got a, he's got a really great booklet out now on tips that you can use for snub nose training and they work really well no matter what you actually carry for a firearm. So there's some really great advantages in there for for snubbies and and for revolvers. But then also his tactics are all the way around the entire tactical spectrum from folding knife and everything. He's got a lot of great training. He's been doing this for a bazillion years now. I think it's pretty close to a bazillion. Uh, definitely check it out. Go over to his website at www.snubtraining.com to check it out. Until our next modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, Prepare now.
1: This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment.